Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to Kudzu Vine for May 22nd, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me always, welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, and tonight on the show, we're excited uh, to have joining us from the Washington Examiner, uh, one of their senior investigative reporters, Barnini Chakraborty. And Varnini is going to join us and talk about Georgia elections. If you haven't seen her work in the um, Washington Examiner, she has written quite a number of articles, including getting an exclusive voicemail um, regarding Georgia's 14th Congressional District race. And um, the voicemail she obtained, it got national coverage on many, many hours. So we'll talk to Varnini about that and other things in about 20 minutes, and we are in the heat of the primary season. So tonight on the show, we're going to talk about what happened Tuesday, and I guess in many ways it's still happening in one of the races, and then lead into what is going to go on in Georgia on Tuesday. But let's go backward, and let's talk about um, three states that have their primaries, North Carolina, Idaho, and Pennsylvania. Um, let's start off with North Carolina. Um, I guess there were two pretty consequential races um, that, that were in the state um, Tuesday night, and one was Ted Budd uh, won the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate. He was endorsed by Donald Trump. He defeated, among other candidates, uh, former Governor Pat McCrory, who had a base in the city of Charlotte, but he defeated him um, pretty handily, uh, and Pat McCroy said, you know, he may leave politics altogether, um, but that would have been a win for, you know, Donald Trump's endorsement power. Tim, your thoughts on that North Carolina U.S. Senate race? That was no surprise at all um, as soon as Trump endorsed Bud, which was, you know, Fairly early in the process, he he blew out to a big lead, and that that was never really a race. So I find it interesting that McCrory said he might even leave the Republican Party. I believe is that not right? I think that's correct. Politics in the Republican Party. I guess if he's apolitical, it really doesn't matter what party you're in. Yeah, yeah. We don't want him, by the way. I just thought I'd I'd bring that up. But he's gonna anyway. Bud's gonna face off in November against the. Former uh, North Carolina Supreme Court Chief Justice Sherry Beasley, uh, she had like token opposition. Everyone knew she was going to win with more than 80% of the vote, which she did. So we we should have a pretty good uh, U.S. Senate race there, especially an open one. And it's one of the races that's going to determine control of the U.S. Senate. Yes, it is a pretty underrated race, and I think part of that did have to do with the fact that Ted Budd, um, you know, won the race 
seemingly wire to wire. And then with Jeff mm-hmm. Jackson dropped out of the Democratic primary, I mean, the nomination was, like you said, token opposition. Um, you know, former uh, Chief Justice Beasley was um, going to be the nominee. Now we get into general election mode, and that race, which didn't get a lot of attention, I think will get more. I think there's one school of thought is that, oh, this is a you know Republican-leaning year based on what happened in uh, Virginia and New Jersey and other places, and that may carry the day, and North Carolina has just not been trending as Democratic as predicted. But on the other hand, in particular um, – the the Supreme Court decision, which we're expecting to come down next month on reproductive rights, could that shake this thing up where a statement like North Carolina that has a pretty significant, um, at least for a southern state, college-educated white voters, is that going to cause some of those voters that might still vote sometimes on some issues Republican – are they going to switch over and vote Democratic in that in the general um, election? Because there was a poll that came out, and I forwarded it to, you, to y'all. Um, it was about a two-point race with Ted Budd leading neither candidate at 50%, both in the 40s, but just a two-point race with Ted Budd probably you know being on TV a lot more than um, Justice Beasley. Your thoughts on those two dynamics, Tim? Well, I, I tell you what I think about that issue so far. I've not seen anything that shows me that that issue yet is moving voters. Uh, national polling is showing this year, by the way, that uh, Republicans have made, have made gains uh, among women. They've tightened the gender gap. last thing I saw showed Democrats up like seven among female voters and after the uh leak uh from the supreme court on the abortion issue that number uh in in the media polling after stayed at seven now that was nationally when you're talking about a two-point race in north carolina i don't know maybe in the big cities and in the triangle uh you'll get enough movement for that to happen on the other hand, in a good midterm year uh, for Republicans uh, in rural areas of North Carolina, it's going to be very, very tough sledding for Democrats, and it might wipe out any gains that they would have made on the abortion issue. But I'm going to have to see that issue move the polls before I'm going to believe it's going to overcome um economic concerns it moved from off the radar david to like fourth place amongst the importance of issues for voters which is significant but the ones above it are you know like uh the economic stuff mainly and election security so i i still need to see some proof of that before i'm going to believe it yeah we'll see i mean i think there's um, what we saw happen in North Carolina, I'm sorry, Virginia and New Jersey um, is still fresh, and I think a lot of people's minds. And what could possibly change that in other states? This is one thing you could point to that could. Does it mean it is? Mm. We're gonna have to see mm. in November, um, or at least yeah. probably, you know, to kind of tell us. 
Um, yeah, you know, could but, turn out in some ways, too. Um, well, let's talk yeah, about you, other but, North Carolina. Oh, go ahead, Tim. No, I, you, you're about to talk about what I was going to ask you about. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, let, let's go to the other race, and that would be the Congressional District in western uh, North Carolina. Uh, originally, Madison Cawthorn was uh, was predicted to run for a different seat. He ran for the seat he did in far western uh, North Carolina, and he lost pretty close, but still he was a sitting member of Congress that lost to somebody from the state legislature, and it gained a lot of attention because this was um, just all about his, I think, personal faux pas that he's had in, in recent weeks where he's made a lot of news. Your take on it. Yeah, voters voters that were interviewed in that district said almost to a person that they were just, a, the, you know, even though they agreed with him on a lot of the issues and stuff, they, they could elect another person that didn't have quite the drama. They thought some of the things he did, especially some of the things he said, uh, went overboard a little bit about the cocaine parties and stuff. But the final straw was that video uh that he claimed was a joke i don't i don't think the voters found that to be uh, a bit of a uh, much of a joke and they just wanted uh in that very conservative district they said a conservative uh congressman that would go and do the work and not embarrass the people of the district and not try to be a national figure uh, we we know about congressmen trying to be national fig- figures, uh, so uh, that that that's what that's what took him out. It didn't take him out by much. He had a good base of voters. He lost by a little over a thousand votes, but but lose he did, and and it happened rather quickly. And he quietly addressed his supporters without the media in the in being allowed in the building he got in his car and he left and went quiet for two days before he started talking again so well we may not even have time for dark maga but you know i'm going to tell you that there's to me there's three kinds of politicians right now there's people with r's behind their name there's people with d's behind their name and there's people with pa that should have pa behind their name for performance artists and he's one mm-hmm. of this small handful of Congress uh, congressional representatives that are just performance artists. They're there to get attention, not to serve their constituents. And I think people have grown real, you know, tired of some of these folks. And we're going to see if more of them go down. Um, and, and the second thing, with when it comes to a lot of these personal scandals, now should every personal scandal sink a campaign? No, but. Another thing we have to remember, there are 330 million people in our country. Not all of us get to be in Congress. And when you continue to rack up so much baggage, it's time to move on to someone else because there's plenty of millions of other people to take your spot. Um, right. And I think that was the case where they were just ready to take his spot with somebody else. Yeah, that's right. And, you, yep. you know, uh, there's some others around the country that ought to be thinking about that, too, uh, in, <laughs> including in this district and in a district in Florida and in a district in uh, Colorado. I saw a picture of uh, the four of them 
with uh, Joe Rogan, I believe it was, on on uh, social media, and uh, basically the commenters are, are all saying, "Well, one down and three to go," and and maybe this era of uh, celebrity people who have no business being in public office, who who don't treat the office as it should be treated, who don't do the work, who don't do the constituent services, who pay no attention to the voters until it's time to get them to vote for them, and otherwise they're running around the country having a big time, and, and on top of it, the, doing the things he was doing, I mean, just alienating the entire Republican Party up there in Washington by saying there's all having cocaine parties and orgies and stuff like that. And then that video that come out on him to top that off. Uh, that's just, that's, that's too much. People, maybe yeah. people are really getting rid of that. Yeah, and, and let's keep moving on um, because we got a lot to cover. And let's talk about Pennsylvania. Um, first off, the governor's race. Um, there's a lot of candidates running for governor, but Doug Mastriano, who's a state senator, who has pretty much said that you know he would just send his own electors uh, up for you know Donald Trump if he had been in charge. He said he'll be to the right of Ron DeSantis by a good bit if he were to become governor. I mean, a pretty scary proposition for those voters around Philadelphia, those voters around uh, Pittsburgh, and then some other places in the state. Um, but maybe they're in the very rural areas. It's a different story. But what's your take on the governor's race um, with Doug Mastriano as their nominee? Yeah, even though he was a clear favorite to win, uh, and he did easily win, more than doubling the vote of his nearest challenger, um, a lot of Republicans up there uh, in that state are very concerned that him being at the top of the ticket would make it tough for Republicans to win what they would view otherwise as a very winnable race. And to top that off, some of the things he's saying about he's going to make sure that, you know, uh, if, even if a Democrat wins that state, that, that he's going to make sure that a Republican gets the electoral votes. And he keeps talking about, you know, in Pennsylvania, Governors appoint the Secretary of State up there, the person oversees the election. He said, and by extension, that means I'll be overseeing the election. And he's one of these big election deniers. And uh, so we'll, we'll see if the uh, voters of Pennsylvania are, are, are interested in relitigating the 2020 election once again. That's another thing I think they're getting a little bit weary of, but we'll see. Yeah, and I'll tell you another thing. I did see right after the fact, and I don't know a lot about Josh Shapiro, um, but I saw some tweets that he had sent out. It was just policies, and he said, this is what I'm going to do for the voters of Pennsylvania. And it was just economic, governmental stuff mm-hmm. right after the fact. And I thought, well, he's, he's sitting there and running in the right way, talking about what you would think the voters would care about, not relitigating the 2020 election other than you know, the hardcore uh, Trumpist. Um, well, let's move on mm-hmm. to that Senate race. And um, the Democratic side, no surprises. Um, you know, Fetterman won every county. But let's go on to that Republican side. And I looked just before we went on the show. It looks like Dr. Oz is about somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,100 votes 
ahead of uh, Dave McCormick. And that's kind of – he's been – I guess he was up about 2,000 early, early in the week. But then it's dwindled to about 1,200, 1,100. And it's just kind of stayed there. Um, Tim, your take on where the race is and where it might go when they finally count all the votes. Oh, boy. Well, you know, automatically, of course, because it's uh, under 5%, there's going to be a, a, a recount. Um, you mentioned uh, the gap. I think it's 1,070 votes out of, like, one point. Three five million or something. Um, We've been talking, you know, even as late as last week about Kathy Barnett, who was thought to be surging, uh, maybe to the lead in in the last week. And a lot of people, a lot of pundits, were picking her to win. I was beginning to think she might win, and she actually finished pretty well off the pace of the other two, like seven points behind the other two. Uh, but uh, this recount is going to go on probably for upwards of three weeks. And I would imagine that uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman uh, is, is rather happy with, 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 with all of that because those two are going to have to be uh, basically still going after each other even though there's a recount going on. They're not going to be able to get into general election mode and uh, just imagine, David, uh, what's going to be said by the loser of that recount. You, you can imagine, right? Yeah, and I'll say this. I don't know that it's the loser supporters I'd worry about more, particularly if it were to flip again and, um, you know, Dave McCormick were to come out ahead. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, I tell you, it's real interesting because, you know, they ended up putting pacemaker in um, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman's, um, you know, heart, um, you know, in his body. And so that's going to take a little bit of recovery period. I don't know the exact timeline, but he's going to get that period now in this with this recount process before yeah. he, I guess, feels forced to hit the trail. Although his, his surrogate is his um, wife at this point, and she does well um, in his place. Um, I've seen her on national interviews, and she – she does a good job um, speaking for him and, and, and um, holding down the fort, if you will, while he's in this recovery period. Now, what I would think would be smart of Dr. Oz and, and Dave McCormick is if they were to take this two- to three-week period while this recount's going and campaign together, like both you know, you know, go to events together and just talk about how awful John Fetterman is. Now, I'm not saying I'd agree with what they say, but – campaign together to therefore um because a recount it's not like they can campaign their way to win the recount they're no longer running against each other one's going to be out and one's going to be in and the one that's in is going to could use the support of the other and since it's not a kathy barnett because i think kathy barnett could be much more problem here because i could see kathy barnett coming out particularly if dave mccormick were to get the lead again and saying, oh, well, I don't trust the, you know, the vote count, and look how they did. Um, the more MAGA candidate, uh, you know, Dr. Oz, and he's been done dirty, and, and because in big issues. I don't know that Dr. Oz will do that. I think it's more likely that Donald Trump will do that well, than some of the supporters will do that. Un- it would be interesting to see un- if Doug Mastriano gets himself involved in any way. 
unfortunately, she's already been talking. So far, though, she's blamed mainly Sean Hannity and Fox News for her demise. And Donald Trump, as you know, has been talking, too. He publicly said that Oz ought to just go ahead and declare victory. And I would imagine or, or I fear that this might wind up in a in a war of public relations between the two, saying, I won, no, I won, no, I won, in some way trying to influence the recount. I don't think they can help themselves, and I imagine that's what they're going to do, either that or go south. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch, and I think maybe by next week we'll know we'll have a resolution, at least from the first count, maybe not the recount, obviously. Well, I want to switch gears mm-hmm. and welcome our guest into the Kudzu Bind for the first time from the Washington Examiner, Barnini Chakraborty. Welcome, Barnini. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Oh, Thank good to have you on. on the show. Yes. Thanks. Well, well Barney, be here. Uh, Tim and I are familiar with your work, and of course, I've talked to you several times, but our mm-hmm. listeners may not be as familiar with you, so just kind of tell our listeners about your journalism, political background. Sure. Well, I actually started off in uh, at the Augusta Journal, at the Augusta Chronicle, excuse me, right after college. And uh, then from there, I covered politics in Atlanta at the AP. And then I moved north and worked for Fox News for about 15 years. And now I'm at the Washington Examiner. And I am their senior investigative journalist there. Yes. And you have done a lot of reporting on Georgia, probably because of those Augusta, AP, and Atlanta roots um, recently. Um, just kind of tell our listeners what you've been up to in the past, uh, I guess, few months, because I, I, I've been reading a lot of these articles. Sure. First of all, I think I just go to Georgia to hear accents like yours. They're lovely. And they make me the good times in the past. Um, So, yeah, I was lucky enough, actually, to go back to Georgia for a couple of weeks and remind myself how beautiful it was and how hot it was. But we were able to go around the state and talk to several people about a lot of the races. We focused on the 14th district where you've got Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jennifer Strahan on the GOP side there. Then uh, we took a look at the 10th district, which you've got, Brian uh, Jones and Mike Collins and the state rep, and we looked, we took a look at the governor's race and the secretary of state's race. So uh, it's been interesting to hear what people have to say, and I got to tell you, it's a lot different than what we thought it would be. Yes. Well, let's kind of get into the uh, Georgia 14 race. So I'm going to talk to you to ask you some questions about that, and I'm Tim's going to ask you some other questions, and then we may even keep asking you more things, but. On that Georgia 14 race, at the top of the show, I was telling our listeners about how you really scored a coup with a voicemail um, that you were able to obtain. And um, I want you to tell our folks as much as you can about about that story since it was an exclusive that got national attention. Well, uh, first of all, thank you. Um, We... We were given this voicemail, uh, and it was from two years ago in 2020, and it was Representative Green going talking to a constituent of hers who who is in her 70s. And she really told the 
constituent who has been a fixture in Republican politics to check herself before she spoke poorly about her. And she really, it was really a threatening, eye-opening voicemail. And what we found out, we were able to obtain that voicemail, but behind the scenes we had four or five similar voicemails from different people. And her really kind of targeting a little bit of the elderly voters in the area. And that was disturbing to us. Um, You know, we spoke a lot to the voters in her district. And behind the scenes, you know, they're ready to talk, you know, say that they're tired of her bombastic headline grabbing in your face politics. But the second that we asked for their name, they were like, nope, absolutely not, because of fear of retaliation. And that, to us, was a little eye-opening. It was a little concerning. So uh, we have more, but we were most comfortable with the one that we shared. Yes, and that kind of gives the taste. And I think that's new information to our listeners, that there were actually multiple of these voicemails. There were. were. You mentioned Jennifer Strahan, and then, of course, we know there's actually multiple candidates uh, running right. against her and the Repub- uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene in the Republican primary. Um, kind of, a, a, I guess, a, a two-part question. Um, one, I'm just going to ask you, I guess I'll ask you, the you know, first question first. Do you think because of the number of candidates there are and the people that have had, you know, seen a lot of Marjorie Taylor Greene's tactics, including this voicemail, and including just the perform- what I call performance art, uh, not, not legislating. Um, do you think that the, all these candidates together can force a runoff? I think that's what they're hoping, and I think that's what the Strahan camp is hoping as well. If you talk to Marjorie Taylor Greene, campaign they they're like no they're very confident they don't think it's a big deal and um but some folks that we've spoken to behind the scenes are a little bit more worried about a runoff than i think that they have said publicly and Hmm. ultimately i think that people's dissatisfaction with her is shown because of the number of candidates that are in the gop running against her so I think that yes, fills in the question. Yeah, when you drive down the road, it's kind of amazing. It's like, now who's this person with a sign? And you're like, oh, they're running against, they're running for Congress. It's oh, okay. I, I don't know if they'll get any votes, but they've got these right. two signs on Highway 27 or Highway 53 or whatever. Um, well, the next thing I saw more, I saw, I saw more signs for her. I saw more signs for her candidates, as you were saying, than I saw for Marjorie Taylor Greene. And And I've seen, honestly, a lot of the ones that say flood the polls. Uh, She put those out a few months ago right when qualifying started, um, if Marjorie Taylor Greene did. Um, But Mm -hmm. I wanted to uh, get into another tactic. I have received multiple voice – I'm sorry, text messages and emails saying – Hey, we know you normally vote in the Democratic primary, but the only way to defeat Marjorie Taylor Greene is to vote in the Republican primary this year. I actually went ahead and voted the Democratic primary because I am, uh, among other candidates that are running for other races, a strong supporter of Rome Councilwoman 
Wendy Davis and just want to have that on the record, you know, in case anybody's listening to my voice. Um, But I have noticed this tactic of trying to get Democratic voters. And then there has been an uh, uh, article in the AJC saying that there has been a pretty significant crossover vote from Democratic voters to Republican voters statewide. It didn't tell if that was more in northwest Georgia or not. As you did these, uh, the research for these articles, did you pick up on that as a strategy or pick up on that a lot of Democratic voters are voting in the Republican primary this year? You know, I, I did read that AJC article, and I can tell you that when we were speaking to those in the 14th district, uh, especially in the outlying areas, they uh, there was pe- there were people who actually said that they were Democrats in the past, but that they were voting in the Republican primary. We did see that. Um, we didn't explore that as much as I wish we would have, but we, it is something that we have seen, and it does seems to be a tactic, but um, again, like I can't, I can't really speak more on that because it wasn't something that we had, um, you know, dug deep into. Though I wish we had. Yes. Final question on this this uh, race: If Marjorie Taylor Greene does go into runoff, is it going to be Jennifer Strahan, or is there any other candidate that has a choice to uh, a chance to push her into a runoff? I think it's Jennifer Strahan right now. I mean, we were told that she's basically Marjorie Taylor Greene with a brain. Um, she does have very conservative values, for which you know, 70% of the folks in her district align with, and she pushes those values. But you know, she seems to be more about the constituents than getting books on Fox News or Newsmax, Newsmax, and so. It's interesting. It'll be an interesting showdown. I do think it will be Strahan, and I think it'll come down to celebrity versus being a public servant. Yes, it'll be interesting to watch on um, Tuesday night. I'm going to pass it yeah. up to Tim, and I'm sure he's got questions about other races. And if there's time, I may have some other questions as well. Tim? Awesome. Uh, good evening, and thank you for being with us. And, and, and let, let me add a caveat to what David had said. Uh, I, I have to inform you right up front that I'm the campaign chair for one of the Democrats that's running okay. um, in, in, in this contest, in this case, Wendy Davis. Uh, but since Marjorie Taylor Greene moved up here from Alpharetta and appeared on the scene, it has been the sense of a lot of us, including me, that she is building a national profile with something other in mind than being a member of the U.S. House. Do you get that sense when you're examining her career to this point that, that she is very ambitious and, and wants to do more in a hurry? Oh, absolutely. I think that's evident when you take a look at her saying very, you know, in-your-face in your face comments and being stripped of her committee assignments. She really is an elected representative that has done nothing for her district. It's all about mm-hmm. Marjorie Taylor Greene, and it, all, and it is all about what she can do to further her own political ambition than it is about the people in the district. And I think that the people in the district are just getting so frustrated with it. And, you know, mm-hmm. they're saying, great, there's, here's Marjorie Taylor Greene, and she's in all of these, 
you know, in, in all these national shows, and that's fantastic, but what about us? She hasn't done anything mm-hmm. for us. And I know, mm-hmm. I, you know, I spoke to a couple of the voters, and they were shocked because they did see her come out on early voting on May 2nd, and they were shocked. They said, where has she been for the past year and a half? She came here on, mm-hmm. you know, she came here for the first day of early voting, had a lot of press with her, and then she was gone. Nobody ever heard from her again. So mm-hmm. I, I think people there are kind of catching on to what mm-hmm. Representative Green may be about. Mm-hmm. Now, you you also did, though, interview some voters down here who, who support her, support her heavily. Uh, what are the chief reasons that people gave you that that made her earn their support? Why, why did they support her? I think that it is her, you know, I think it's her, it's how much she is in lockstep with former President Donald Trump. They liked mm-hmm. his policies, and they liked hers. And they believe that, you know, they're very, very loyal to him, and they're very loyal to conservative causes. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's exactly what she's about. So they think that supporting her is like supporting him, and that's something that mm-hmm. they like. You know, I spoke to a, a lot of voters who said, you know, it, it's going to be Republican regardless, and it really didn't matter um, mm-hmm. about her just as long as she continued to vote along conservative lines. Which she certainly does do that. <laughs> yes, she does. I have to tell you, though, I, I spoke with Wendy Davis, who was wonderful, and she spoke to us for mm-hmm. an hour and a half, and she went down from position, you know, point by point by point by point uh, as to what Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jennifer Strahan both said, and she went down and talked about how she would do things differently and how it would be about all the people in the district, not just certain people in the district, and how she would cross, uh, you know, she would cross the Democratic and Republican divide and be a representative for everyone. So it was, you know, it, it was nice talking to actually all the candidates. Mm-hmm. Well, I would like to switch off now uh, while we have some, some time left and go statewide uh, okay. uh, about something else you've written about. In, in February, David okay. Perdue was down by 11 points, I believe, Governor yeah. Kemp at the time. He's now down 32 points in the latest polling. What in the world happened to David Perdue? And the second part of that question why didn't Donald Trump's support seem to help him? You know, I think there's only so much Donald Trump can do. David Perdue, you know, when we, we went to several of his campaign events, and I kind mm-hmm. of felt a little sorry for him. I mean, his, his, elect, his campaign is just sort of limping across the finish line, and the race really does show how much Trump – has, um, you know, if he has as much sway as he thinks he does. He has backed Purdue, but it was shocking to me. You know, we were at the Cobb County GOP headquarters, and it was supposed to be this big marquee event, and uh, David Purdue was going to be there for a meet and greet. And I got there actually a little late, and he had already started speaking, but when I got in there, there were 15 people max. 
And wow. I was shocked. I was shocked. And of those 15 people, several were people who worked at the Cobb County GOP headquarters. And so I thought, wow, I mean, this is the writing on the wall. And I spoke to a couple of the folks who were coming out of the event, and they said, you know, it's just time to get behind. They felt that it was just time to get behind Kemp because he voted, he is running on a conservative record, which is what they can back, versus Purdue, who is really only rehashing the 2020 presidential elections. And you can only do that for so long before people are like, all right, we're done. And it even looked mm-hmm. like Purdue was kind of done <laughs> himself. He uh-huh. looked a little so, defeated and tired. So, so is it your sense that the Republican Party is going to be pretty much unified behind the governor heading into the fall campaign? Or do you believe there might be an issue with getting some of President Trump's most ardent supporters on board? Or do you think they will be on board. I think that's what Trump is hoping, that people will stay mm-hmm. away and, you know, sort of show this is, look, look at what I can do look at, uh, in Georgia. But, you know, when we spoke to people, yes, Trump's endorsement, Trump's support was one thing, but most of the Republicans really got behind what they saw as their common enemy, and that's you know, Stacey Abrams. And so I think once the primaries are over, they will come together and they will mm-hmm. kind of focus on, in their words, the common enemy, mm-hmm. what they see. Now, 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 you said that Roe versus Wade, this, this issue before the Supreme Court, uh, could, could be a game-changing issue in Georgia elections this year. The question is, who benefits the most? Would it be Democrats who might lure in suburban women in the in the metro area, or would it be Republicans who get fired up because uh, they've got a winner? Uh, who who benefits most in your view? Uh, if that is a huge issue in the fall, I do think it will be a huge issue in the fall. But I think that in Georgia, it just depends on where you're at. I think that when you look at Rome, Augusta, Atlanta, that is a huge issue and it will favor favor Democrats. But I think that when you get into some of the more rural areas, uh, that will bring together a lot of Republican voters who are very mm-hmm. um, conservative Republican voters who are very firm on their stance. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think for right now, it's a little wait and see. Yeah, understood. Now, a final question. I'm going to send it back to David. Yes, sir. Considering the present state of affairs nationally with with the economy, I mean, we all know what's going on, and and the 40% approval rating of President Biden coupled with the fact that historically um, parties in power in their first midterms do not fare well, When you put all that together, is it fair to say that Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock might begin the fall campaign as underdogs? That is a great question, and that is one that we've been looking into. And it does. Uh, We are seeing sort of an uphill battle for them when it comes Uh to this because 
when we when we look at things, when we look at inflation, when we look at things that are immediately on the minds of voters, especially given you know what's going on right now, and the White House is going on right now in the world. Um, we've got baby formula shortages. We've got you know war going on. We've got inflation. It does look like it's going to be an uphill battle for both of them. That's what we've um, wow. that's what we've spoken yeah. to several wow. several voters, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Well, I thank you for that. And with that, mm-hmm. I'm going to send it back to David for some more questions Great. and to close out the segment. David. Great. It was sure. a pleasure um, talking to you. Barney, you mentioned Stacey Abrams, and, and um, after Tuesday, assuming there's not a runoff, um, mm-hmm. it will be to the general election campaign. And I watched, um, you know, good chunks of two different focus groups in the past uh, week or two. One was Rich mm-hmm. Stahl uh, and Gracious. He did a, a focus group, and I noticed the Republican-leaning voters in his focus group, one of them even talked about how knowledgeable and well-informed on issues Stacey Abrams is, even though he probably would vote for the Republican candidate. Um, he mm-hmm. had no personal issues with Stacey Abrams. Um, the other candidates, same thing. The other um, Republican-leaning people, same thing. But then MSNBC, NBC, Meet the Press, they did a focus group, and you did hear a lot of the, um, you know, the, the regular tropes on Stacey Abrams. Oh, she's um, you know, going to do all this to Georgia, and, and, and it's kind of like the Republicans run in their ads, both David Perdue and Brian Kemp. When you interviewed voters, um, which do you see more Republican voters that you've talked to? Are they just like, we just don't agree with Stacey Abrams on policy, and she's not a bad person, she's a good Georgian? Or is it, oh, the, the caricature that the Republican campaigns of this is this person that must be stopped? Honestly, what we saw was this is this person who must be stopped. Um, we The only unity we saw when we spoke to Republican voters was them coming together against, and as I said, I keep saying this phrase, but that's what they used, the common enemy, which they said was Stacey Abrams. So the folks that we spoke to weren't necessarily saying that, yeah, she's a great Georgian, she's got, you know, maybe she's, you know, she's Democrat, and she doesn't necessarily align behind all of our values, but that is not what we saw. We saw a lot of fanatics who were saying, no, she must be stopped at all costs, we're going to go to the polls, you know, because you've got Trump saying, don't go to the polls, if if Kemp wins, no one's going to, my base isn't going to go to the polls, but we saw folks who are David Perdue supporters who said, even if he does not win the runoff, they will absolutely go to the polls and vote in November because the main goal after the primaries was to get Stacey Abrams, you know, to get her away from the governor's mansion as quickly as possible. They don't want her anywhere near it. So I think they will come together actually and, and see Stacey Abrams is kind of the main challenger, not this whole Trump versus Kemp thing. Yes. Well, I'm going to move on to the Senate race, even though I know you hadn't written as much about it. You talked to people with different races. And I want to tell you, 
I am a loyal Democrat that fully supports electing Herschel Walker to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. I think he is infinitely qualified when you put together his time in the USFL, and his kick return yardage um, is very underrated. I think when you add his kick and his punt return, he may be the all-time leading rusher, so I think he is beyond qualified for Canton, Ohio, but he has absolutely zero business in the U.S. Senate. Um, so I just want to go on record as that, saying where I do support Herschel Walker. Um, but he's going to face most likely because he's, he's leading uh, Gary Black, Latham, Sadler, yeah. and many other candidates handily. He's going to face Raphael Warnock. In 2020, they threw everything but the kitchen sink at Raphael Warnock. All kinds of attack, and nothing seemed to stick. Is there kind of a sense among Republicans that you've talked to that Raphael Warnock is just not a very easy candidate to negatively define? Yes, but I also think that when they when they talk about Herschel Walker, it's this very weird mentality that we saw. Which is again, we love we love him. He's just great football legend. And then they just kind of kept going. And even when we pressed them on what does this mean for politics, yeah, they were like, oh, Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker. But um, you know, it is very weird the support that he has, uh, especially with how little experience he has in politics. Uh, but people. People love him from where we saw. Even though, did you hear in his unity celebration because he's so far ahead that he offered to have one with his fellow Republican challengers? Because he doesn't even, he's not even worried about them is what he said. He yeah, I, I saw that, that, he had that invitation. He, he, I mean, he yeah. comes off very happy when Russ Spencer interviewed him. He didn't let anything phase him. I've actually talked to Herschel Walker at a political fundraiser for Kathy Cox in twenty in 2006 when he supported her governor toll campaign in the Democratic primary. Um, I actually talked to him. Lovely conversation. Super nice guy. Just doesn't seem to have a huge grasp on uh, policy and governmental you know, affairs on the way they work. That's just a whole other issue. Right. Well, um, let me move on. You mentioned the 10th Congressional District, and that's on the yes. east side of Georgia. Jody Heiss vacating that seat. And Vernon Jones gave up his uh, gubernatorial bid to jump in that race. From where I sit, it doesn't seem like that's gone very well. Since you actually did a story on that race, kind of give us a breakdown of the Republican primary. Sure. So we've got a very, very crowded primary. I believe there are eight candidates in it for the 10th district. And again, it comes down to a test of how powerful Trump's endorsement is. Um, we've got Bernie Jones and Mike Collins, who are kind of the top two folks. And they're both running on a very pro-Trump uh, campaign. And unfortunately for Mike Collins, Trump has backed Vernon Jones, who, as you know, and all your uh, listeners know, that he used to be a Democrat. And um, I asked him specifically, I was like, you know, you were in the governor's race. You were, you know, what's going on? You won call from Trump, and now you're in the 10th district, uh, you know, race. What's, what's happening? And he believes that he was 
he was picked by Trump, and he's going to do more good in Congress than he ever would in Georgia, which was kind of a weird thing to say. Um, but he does believe it'll give him more clout and it'll give him a national stage. And, you know, the man's running, he calls himself the black Donald Trump. He is running solely on <laughs> the power of Donald Trump's endorsement because he is a very problematic campaign uh, candidate. He has some issues that he has had in the past, and they keep coming up. And so he seems to brush them off and just calls them fake news, and he's, you know, it, it, it's very hard to speak to him about specific, you know, problems or or issues that people have with him when he just shouts back fake news in the middle of a question. So um, that's interesting. And then you've got uh, Mr. Collins, who really is a conservative, and he's actually kind of out-trumping Jones. The only thing is that he doesn't have the endorsement of, from. So it'll be interesting to see how those two kind of, you know, how how it plays out on Tuesday night. But I do think that there will be a runoff in that. Yes. Well, well because Zuvine and Vernon Jones go back quite a ways to the first day <laughs> yeah. of the show, I think she's been on our show twice. And one yeah. time he and Jim Martin had the first Internet-only debate for U.S. Senate on the Kudzuvine um, so we're right. very familiar with Vernon Jones, and I'm going to make a prediction so you'll know about this when it happens. The next time Vernon Jones will run for an election will be a local race in DeKalb County, and he will run as a Democrat. He will switch back <laughs> to the Democratic Party back to being a Democrat? because that's what he's kind of done back and forth. Right. He uses that local right. DeKalb politics on the Democratic side and then goes statewide or something bigger and tries to move to the middle or the right. Can I quote you on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, Barton, anyway, uh, yeah, I enjoyed having you on so much. Isn't he? he? He definitely is, uh, to, to say the least. That there's been a long, colorful history with a lot of different um, stories that have come out over the years that we've talked about, um, and and so I'm not so sure. This may be the last time we discuss him with this tenth congressional race because I don't think he's going to run off. Um, but I was yeah. going to go ahead and um, yes, I was going to go ahead and um, let you tell our listeners where they can read you at the Washington Examiner, but then also on social media, anywhere else our, our listeners can read your work. Um, well, no, uh, well, it's on. Uh, I'm on Twitter. It's at Barnini B A R N I N I, and at www.washingtonexaminer.com. Yes. Well, so glad you came on the show, and if you're going to keep on covering politics like this, then we want to keep talking with you uh, in the future as these elections keep unfolding. You have been awesome, and this has been a pleasure. So thank you both, and I've enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Thanks see so you. Bye-bye. Bye. That was uh, Barnini Chakabarty. Um, and I, man, I said that last name 100% correct, but uh, for the Washington Examiner, just really is having quite a streak uh, with some of those articles she's written lately. But, uh, Tim, you know, I made that one prediction about Vernon Jones, but now it is time to talk about Georgia and predictions. Um, let's kind of talk about the races as we make predictions. On the governor's race, we have, I guess, four total candidates Three that have gotten a decent amount of attention because 
Candace Taylor has kind of outkicked her coverage as far as how much attention she's gotten. But make your <laughs> prediction on what happens on election night Tuesday. Well, I believe uh, on the Republican side, the governor will win by, I'd say, a conservative estimate of 25 to 30 points, maybe more. Could be up to 40. I'm not sure about that. Uh, But it's going to be an easy win for Governor Kemp and probably the end of David Perdue's political career. Uh, Of course, Stacey Abrams had no opposition, so there's mine. Yes, um, if something else happens and there is a runoff, it means that polling um, in Republican primaries is still deeply flawed and there's problems that have to be sorted out still. Could that be the case? Maybe. But probably Uh, not. uh, And so you have to think that – I don't know that David Perdue – I'm sorry, I don't know that Brian Kemp is going to get like you know, 66% of the vote and run and win by like 30 points. But I do think at this point it's going to be very hard for him not to get 50% plus one and win this in the, um, you know, first election. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's continue to keep moving um, on to different races. In that Senate primary, any chance Herschel doesn't, uh, you know, get 50% plus one in that that race? Uh, Oh, no, either. Even with even with uh, six people in the race, the other candidates have uh, again. The polling will have to be horribly wrong, David. The other candidates have been struggling to break into double digits, and Walker is in the sixties. Walker wins this big. It, it was just inevitable from the day he got in the race, and and of course Senator Warnock is who he'll be facing because he only had token opposition. But Walker. Walker big, even by a bigger margin uh, than Governor Kemp, wouldn't you say? I definitely agree. And and something I texted you and and someone else today, um, they would have been better off with Latham Sadler. After hearing almost every candidate uh, in that primary on that show, uh, Road to November, on Channel 5, um, Latham Sadler was by far their best candidate. Yeah, but the best person for the the in politics, the best person for the job quite often doesn't get the job. That's just the nature of the beast. And and in this case, this this massive celebrity and football icon is is he just took up all the air in the room and and plus with Donald Trump's blessing to go with it, that was that. Yeah, well, let's. Um, since I talked about Vernon Jones in that tenth congressional race, um, I'll let you make a prediction there on what you might think might happen in the tenth, particularly related to Vernon Jones. Well, yeah, we do have a history with Vernon Jones, don't we, uh, David? Uh, and you know, uh, in that race, there's uh, what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Republicans. Our old buddy Paul Brown's even in the race. Uh, I believe that there's enough names in that race for a runoff, and and I, I believe Jones might make the runoff because he's got, you know, uh, Trumps support, and, and I believe he'll be running against uh, Mike Collins. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think it's actually going to be Collins and Brown, and I don't think Vernon Jones makes the runoff. I saw some pop, and he, <laughs> he is just not connecting um, in that race. Um, honestly, I think if, you know, a lot of folks had to do it all over again, um, including Donald Trump and his advisors, they would have just let Vernon Jones stay in that governor's race, not recruited in David Perdue, and just did what they did um, through Vernon Jones because he seemed to have more – going on in that governor's race than he has in this congressional race. Well, well, David, it, it, is, is it my imagination or is Trump, is his brand not as strong in these races as it's been in the past, or is that my imagination? Well, I mean, he, he, he uh, his governor's candidate won in Pennsylvania, his Senate candidate uh, one in uh, North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, here in his Georgia, governor's here, candidate. Here I mean, in Georgia, it's, it's well kind of flat, ain't it? Well. Yeah, what? but it's kind of flat in Georgia, ain't it? I mean, he's got Walker, but but some of the other races, he just doesn't seem to be. You know, his will is not being done. I don't know. Yeah, and that that may be a story of the Georgia electorate. We'll could be. I mean, I think we'll know a lot more about Georgia politics. Wednesday morning than we do now, and even more after the runoff, because some races are going to go to a runoff. Um, well, we haven't yeah. really talked about any Democratic races yet, so let's kind of switch over. That lieutenant governor's race has so many candidates. Um, what's mm-hmm. your take on it? Well, you know, Charlie Bailey um, dropped off into that race. Um, I think it uh, just – on paper, look better for him to get in that race than than what he was doing, and I am predicting a runoff in that race between Charlie Bailey and Kwanzaa Hall. Now you might remember Kwanzaa Hall uh, briefly um, held uh, John Lewis's seat. Uh, because of the way the the law works and all, but you, but you might remember that 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 happened, and so he has a pretty good power base, and so that's that's what that's what I'm going to go with, Kwanzaa Hall, Charlie Bailey, and the runoff. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. It's going to be a runoff. Um, I would think Charlie Bailey. It seemed like he kind of makes sense to fit with a Stacey Abrams ticket looking at kind right. of balancing and, and different some stuff. So um, although she in no way has, you know, publicly, overtly put her thumb on the scale. Um, and so it's hard to know otherwise who comes out of that. Other than a trip down through, um, down through Atlanta, metro Atlanta, Atlanta, and I can't tell you exactly where I saw it, there was a Kwanzaa Hall minibus. I want to say it was on the connector inside the city limits of Atlanta. But I saw a mm-hmm. minibus with Kwanzaa Hall. And other than that, I've really seen nothing about his campaign. Um, Obviously, you know, the largest city in the state would be a good place to base your campaign. But there's some other names and people that are currently serving that could possibly get in there. Eric Allen, Renita Shannon, um, uh, Tyrone uh, Brooks is a well-known name in Democratic circles. But who's to say who else gets in there with Charlie Bailey? Yeah, but that but we do agree because there's like nine people in this race. There's no way it's not going to be a runoff, right? Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's going to be a runoff. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then on the Republican side, there's like four candidates, but it's really a two-person race: Butch Miller right. 
and Burt Jones. I think Burt Jones is going to win this thing. I think there's a chance he wins without a runoff, but it could be a runoff where, you know, he gets really, really short of 50, and that would be a, a Trump-endorsed win. What's your take on the Republican yeah. side of the Yeah, and, that, and that's where I'm going with this. I think he's going to hit just barely south of the 50% mark, and I think he's got to run off with, with, with Butch Miller, but, but then Jones would run, win the runoff handily. But I believe he's going to be the nominee one way or the other. Yes. Well, let's move to the Secretary of State's race. That's one of the more interesting races on both sides of the aisle. Um, because it is going to affect elections moving forward. Um, I'll let you pick both of them at the same time. What do you think happens on each side? And I'll go to order you choose. Well, I'm on the Democratic side. I'm I'm a fan of uh, being in. Um, Even though John Eves is a strong candidate with a good background, there's five candidates in the race, but I believe that she will win. Um, she's endorsed by, among others, labor in the state, which is always a good thing to have in a Democratic primary. And on the Republican side, you know, if you'd asked me this a year ago, I would have said Brad Raffensperger wouldn't have even made the race. But not only has he made the race, that's a close race. There's four candidates over there, and if Jody Heiss does win, it, it's going to be fairly. And I'm kind of leaning toward maybe Raffensperger easing in and winning barely. Uh, but but that one's going to be one to watch. But I, I'm if, if I've got to pick somebody, I'm going to say Heiss barely. Okay, um, I'll go ahead and do that same thing, same race and same order. I think if there's no runoff on the Democratic side, it would be B-Win. Um, she seems to have the strongest campaign. She gets his TV ads for a down-ballot race, so they're like not a picture of her with some music playing that's just done in somebody's home computer. I mean, it's a professionally done ad. You can tell she's mm-hmm. got a real campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. now, does she get forced to runoff? I think there's a decent chance who's in there with her. Uh, hard to say, but yeah, John Eves does seem to have the more known commodity, unless it's somehow someone outside of Metro Atlanta um, gets in there with her, like a Floyd Griffin, um, or someone else. You know, kind of maybe even if they are from Atlanta, like uh, D. Dawkins Hagler, somehow they, you know, get a base of support outside of Atlanta. Um, but then in the end, I do think B. Wynn's going to be the nominee, even in the runoff. I'd like to predict the runoff at that point. Then on the uh, Republican side, I actually think that Brad Raffensperger is going to finish first, maybe short of the runoff threshold, but I think he's going to finish ahead of Jody Heiss, you know, on Election Day. Now, he may be in a runoff with Jody Heiss. I definitely think it won't be David Bell Isle or um, some of these other folks that are running against. It'll be Heiss if anyone gets in the runoff with him, and, and one would expect and I do think it's going to be interesting to see, does Jody Heist do better than we may think? Does, you know, David Perdue do better than we think? And is this Trump effect going to kind of come out of nowhere and not be polled? Those are going to be two races together that kind of, um, you know, tie that together. I don't know, um, you know, the runoff, I want to wait to see what happens on the next night before I even pick that one. Um, we got to keep moving on down. Um 
Attorney General, it's probably if most people had to pick, they'd say Chris Carr, Jen Jordan. Mm-hmm. Any chance right. either one of those candidates get upset and don't make it to the um, general election? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Those two, I'd, I'd say put a lock there. Yeah, agreed. Um, one of the strangest uh, outcomes, but, hey, I'm impressed by the way he did some jiu-jitsu on here. Um, the Republican side, even though it was an open seat for agriculture commissioner, Tyler Harper is going to be the Republican nominee, and you'd think with a seat like agriculture commissioner, he might have the inside track for winning. But the Democratic side, they recruited multiple candidates. Um, I, I have to think that Winifred Dukes is kind of a known commodity. I did see that he's putting ads on AJC online, which that probably people that read AJC online vote. So that's probably not a bad place to put ads. I'm sure he said it had other campaign strategies as well. So I'll say that the leading candidate, he still once again may get in a four-step runoff, is going to be Winifred Dukes. Um, what's your thoughts on the Democratic side there? Yeah, and I, I got um, a Duke's Fred Swan runoff is, is is what I've got there. Fred Swan's got a you know a pretty lengthy background in Georgia politics, so that's where I'm going to go there. And uh, the uh, Tyler Harper, though uh, the, the way you, you're you're right, the way things bounce or or to be the 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 heavy favorite going into the fall campaign. To, to win that job, so yeah. Well, let's go on the um, Republican. I mean, let's go on the school superintendent race. Um, you know, Richard Woods uh, is stuck out a lot of this Trump controversy, but yet he has opposition from John Barge, who held the job before. Um, although John Barge has run for a lot of races recently, including Congress mm-hmm. uh, last time, ran for mm-hmm. governor against uh, Nathan uh, Deal. Um, any chance that Richard Woods is in trouble? Nope, none. Absolutely no, I, I don't not. think so either. Um, and then on the Democratic side, um, there are two educators or people that have licenses to teach, and then several other folks, and it seems like the better funded people are the people that aren't teachers, um, which I, I kind of think is problematic. Um What's your take on the Democratic side for state school uh, school superintendent? I'm watching Alicia Thomas seriously. There, there's there's my look right there. Let's 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 pick up. Uh, I'm not going to say a long shot, but uh, that that's that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, and, and you know she and I don't know her current stances. But I know that when she was married to um, her former husband, um, who was on the Cobb School Board, they were big into the voucher movement. And I think if Mm -hmm. a lot of that came out and she still has those stances, that's going to be very problematic. I mean, that's going to be a situation where the more pro-public school candidate could be the Republican, um, if you look at her past record supporting vouchers. Um, I have to hope that one of the two educators wins. uh, you know, Curry Hitchens was actually a, a teacher in the cab and went through Dalton schools and what have you. Um, there's another teacher, James Morrow. I, I don't know, though, if they really have the campaign funds to where a That's, that's been their Howard problem, Dave. Somehow that's been their problem. Get it there. Nobody knows who they are. That, that's been their problem right there. I looked at both yep. of them, too. 
but but I'm I'm ju- I'm just settling on her and, and on the voucher issue. Well, it's too late for it to have an impact now. I mean, the the election starts in you know just uh, a matter of of hours. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Well, well, quick, quickly since we're running out of time, a race that really hasn't gotten as much attention. Labor Commissioner Mark Butler's uh, leaving that race. Um, any picks on mm-hmm. either side of that? Yeah, I got Bruce Thompson uh, with three people running on on the uh, Republican side, and Lester Jackson, I think, will emerge from the six candidates on the Democratic side. Yeah, I think Lester Jackson's a name that people know. Uh, Nicole Horn, if you look at her um, her campaign material, but you have to seek it out. It's a lot of polish. But you have mm-hmm. to seek it out. Who's going to do that? Um, so I think yeah. if there is a runoff, it's going to be those two on the Republican side. Yeah, I have seen a lot about Bruce Thompson. I've also seen Mike Cohen, who's the deputy labor commissioner. I guess there could be a runoff, although there's only three candidates, and that would be the third candidate would have to get a, a decent chunk, and that seems problematic. Well, Tim, you can decline on this last uh, race since congressional. I'm only going to ask you about the Republican side. Do you think um, Marjorie Taylor Greene gets forced into a runoff? Uh, my heart says yes, and my head says no. How's that? Yeah. I, I think it's going to be fun if it happens, but unfortunately I think we got our um, fun little, you know, take down the um, performance artist on Tuesday night with – Madison Cawthorn, I think she survives, um, you mm-hmm. know, even though there's umpteen billion candidates running. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what these Republican candidates do when they lose to her. Do they just turn around and endorse her? Do they just go away? Or do they uh, say, hey, she's so bad that we must um, support the Democrat in this race? And I think that's going to be an interesting storyline coming out of that. Um, it is, yes. Yeah. It is, yes. Well, um, exciting, Vine. Uh Next week, um, we'll be recapping these Georgia elections, and no telling what will happen between now and then and the rest of the political world. But until then, been the Kudzuvine. Good night, everybody. Good night. We are the heirs of that first revolution. with a strong and united... America still...